0: I realized that my calling was to the ministry, to the gay community, that I shared with my parents that I was gay.
1: What did your, what did your parents say?
0: Well, my mother cried. Uh-huh. Um, my father held my hand and told me that I was his son and he loved me no matter what. Ah. And that he didn't understand it, but that nothing could separate me from his love. Mm-hmm. And my mother has said much the same thing.
1: Ah, Thank God. <laughs> You know, thank God for a mom and dad who will stand with a young person. And, you know, I think it's very important because no matter what happens to a young person in their life, they're still your boy, they're still your girl, no matter what happens in their life. And I think it's so important that we as mom and dad love through anything. And that's the way with Jesus, you know. Jesus loves us through anything. And that's the wonderful thing about Jesus, you know.
0: Absolutely. Jesus loves me just the way I am. I really believe that. Ah. Jesus loves the way I love.
1: Listen, listen, uh, Steve. Uh, this is an emotional interview for me. I just met Steve, and it's like meeting him in person right here. It's, uh, mm. I want to put my arm around you.
0: <laughs> oh, well, my uh, arm's around <laughs>
2: you. Religion, theology, creed. Sacrifice, morality, superstition. Spirituality, devotion,
3: persuasion. Well, Steve, it's amazing to see you. One I think that's well completely amazing is that you're alive. And two, I don't think I've seen you since uh, nineteen eighty five. This is the video. I was honestly blown away to find you on Instagram recently.
4: Yeah, well I was so surprised when you contacted me. <laughs>
3: I guess for people the listeners who might not know is is that my mom interviewed you in nineteen eighty five. Right. My mom's Tammy Faye Baker, for our listeners who are really clueless, <laughs> <laughs> and interviewed you in 1985. You were, I mean, you still are, a gay pastor. Yes. And with AIDS.
4: Uh, living with AIDS, right.
3: And, now, and the fact that you're still alive is a miracle.
4: It is, indeed. Yeah. I first got sick in, with AIDS in 1982, when they were still calling it GRID, Gay-Related Immunodeficiency, Then I was sick with hepatitis, CMV, pneumonia, mononucleosis, herpes, shingles, a variety of fungal infections, and finally I was diagnosed in April of 84 with stage 4 lymphoma and Kaposi sarcoma and full-blown AIDS, of course, and I was given eight months to live.
3: I mean, so many questions. I mean, I guess the first question would be just like, you know, before I ask you about
4: the interview, but how, how did you survive? Well, I worked very hard at it. I believed it was possible. My doctor told me when I was first diagnosed as terminal, there are no 100% in medicine. And if 0.001% are going to survive AIDS, why not believe that you're going to be that 0.001% and behave accordingly? And so I set about to do the work of healing. There were no treatments. There was nothing that medicine could offer back then my doctor said you know you in the church have more to offer than we do in medicine i was diagnosed in april two weeks after my formal diagnosis i was invited to preach the easter sermon at my church and uh, i said oh you mean for me to preach good friday don't you i'm dying (laughs) and he said no you need to preach easter and it was one of the greatest gifts they could have given, that he could have given me, Reverend Ken Martin. It was such a valuable gift to have to look at what it meant to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a person who was presumably terminal. What I discovered in the two weeks that I worked on that sermon and meditated and prayed was that if God is greater than the death of Jesus on the cross, then certainly God is greater than AIDS. And I proclaimed that and everybody (laughs) would, how could you say that? But you know, God is greater than AIDS. God's a greater reality than any disease. I said, you know, in the face of having this stigmatized illness and cancer, I can still laugh. I can still enjoy my friends. I can still dance and sing. I can still be fully alive. Even in the face of a potentially terminal prognosis,
3: well, I don't feel like we're going to get a lot of super miracles on, on loosen the Bible belt, or even in my church. Um, so this is just to me is mind-boggling, and I think uh-huh. both me and Kristen are just blown away by your story. I mean, just that alone. I mean, being a gay pastor in the '80s had to have its huge challenges.
5: I mean, that's like as dangerous, right, as the disease.
4: Well, I was a pastor with the Metropolitan Community Churches, and that's what I had uh, gone to seminary for. I went to McCormick Seminary, Presbyterian Seminary, and I was studying for the ministry in MCC. And I was the pastor of MCC Hartford from 79 to 82.
5: What was their stance on on gay at the time? Was, was MCC all, always good or is that – in recent oh, years.
4: MCC was founded by Reverend Troy Perry okay. as a safe place for LGBT people to worship together.
3: They're an amazing church. I mean, they had churches burnt down oh, yeah. and, and,
4: and uh, just oh, yeah. survived so much. And I was the first member of the clergy in MCC to be diagnosed with AIDS. So everybody was shocked because I had a reputation for v- being very vanilla. If you know what I mean and and everybody thought, "Oh, it's going to be all the the leather guys who get diagnosed with aids and and uh, and here I come along from uh, New England and you know in my preppy shirt and all of that and and they're going, "Oh my God, if he can get it, we all need to really watch out." So it was a huge lesson for the MCC in general. I came out about being a person with AIDS right away in the denominational magazine, Journey. And I wrote articles every month about my journey with AIDS. You know, I started to tell you that, that I think a large part of the reason was that, I, that I survived was because I worked at it and I had faith and I got very lucky. My doctor, who is one of the premier AIDS researchers in the country, Dr. Alexandra Levine, she invited me to be the first patient to go on the very first antiviral they tried against HIV, a drug called Suramin. And uh, it was a chemotherapy that we took once a week. I was the first patient to go on it. And within six weeks, all of my Kaposi sarcoma lesions had disappeared and my stage four lymphoma was in complete remission. And I was doing that chemotherapy, as a matter of fact, when I was interviewed by your mother. She had sent me two first-class tickets to fly to Charlotte, North Carolina, to be on the show in person. My companion and I, because I was sick enough, I needed a companion to fly with. That her producer called me just as we were headed out the door to the airport and said, don't come, Tammy's sick, you know, we're going to find another way to do it. They decided to do it by satellite. It was the first ever satellite interview in the history of PTL. I was already in complete remission by that point. I was very, very sick f- from the toxic side effects of suramin That drug actually killed a large percentage of the people who took it, and everybody else died from HIV and AIDS within a a year or two. I'm one of two survivors of that drug. Wow, wow, yeah.
3: I mean, the stigma I mean, like we've covered, like the stigma of being a gay pastor at that time, insane, and then the stigma. Of having AIDS in the 80s. I mean I remember it being on the cover of Time magazine. I remember Ronald Reagan being afraid to talk about it. That's right. A lot of younger I think folks in the LGBTQ community weren't alive at the time or were just being right. born and don't realize how horrible that, that you folks – with AIDS had it. I mean, you really, I mean, it was just, you were seen as having the plague. I mean, it was,
4: that's right.
5: It was queer people too. It it wasn't just, it wasn't just like mainstream, right? It was gay people were also right. like, Oh, wait, what, you know, it was, it oh, was sure.
4: everywhere. Yeah. And I, I lost a lot of friends when I was diagnosed who just did were so scared that they couldn't deal with it. And if it hadn't been for a group of lesbians who took care of me in the first couple of years of my illness, I don't know that I would have survived that. But it was only the women that would come sit with me and bring me groceries and, and bring me communion and that sort of thing when I was so desperately ill uh, in 82 and 83.
3: I think it's such an important message to hear. I think people need to hear this. I think it's important for the history of, uh, of America and really important for the history of for LGBTQIA folks to look back and, and remember that time yeah. I think nowadays we just have such short term memories that we think like oh you know well, they had it easy or this was that or it's different you know what I mean and, and we don't realize that we've all in our own times have had our own struggles in our own yeah. horrible battles so um, I can't even pretend to know what you've been through I'm just curious because I've you know here my mom and dad are televangelists you know, of the Assemblies of God. Right. And my mom asks to to interview you. And, I mean, you know, most people would not fathom the Assemblies of God pastor, you know, even talking to a gay person. Right. uh, Much less a a gay person with AIDS and then much less in their church and then much less on national television. So do you remember how it came about that this this was even going to happen?
4: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Apparently, your mother's producers... They were looking all through the Southeast for somebody with AIDS to come on the program. She wanted to be the first televangelist to interview a gay person with AIDS. I mean, what an amazing thing that was. And a testament to her bravery, her courage. They couldn't find anybody in the entire Southeast who was willing to come on the program. They happened to call in their search the um, director of AIDS Project Atlanta, who was a friend of mine, Ken South, Reverend Ken South. And he said, well, there's this guy in Los Angeles, a pastor with the MCC who has AIDS and who might be willing to talk to you. And that's how they found me. I remember negotiating, first of all, that it be live so that they couldn't edit what I was saying, you know. And uh, second of all, we talked about, you know, coming to Charlotte and what I would need to do that, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, so my companion, Reverend Nancy Radcliffe, actually drove me to a studio in Ontario when they figured out that they couldn't do it in Charlotte. And, you know, I've since learned, I didn't know this at the time, but I since learned that while your parents would have welcomed me and been very hospitable to me, they were worried that the camera crew wouldn't work and that I might be badly treated by hotel staff. Uh, there at Heritage Village, and I don't know if that's true, but it's what I heard uh, later.
3: Well, I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that would probably be true. I mean, it was you know, assemblies, assemblies of God was is, yeah. was not the most friendly folks, especially to
4: anyone who was gay. And there was still so much fear around AIDS. I mean, we were just figuring out how it was transmitted. So, you know, I did a number of interviews in the early years in the '80s where they would not let me in the studio to speak to the whoever I was talking to. They had me interviewed on a chair in an alley beside AIDS Project Los Angeles. And when we were done with the interview, I would take off the earphone and I'd hand it to the, the audio guy and he would say, oh, no, 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 you throw it away or keep it or do whatever, but no. And he wouldn't even touch it. Uh, they wouldn't even go inside AIDS Project Los Angeles to interview me, so... There was a lot of fear. So much fear. Yeah. You know, just watching how many people were, just, were
3: losing so many people.
4: You know. Yeah. I know. I, I sing with the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles, and I love to sing. I love to dance. And, and uh, I don't dance very well, but I sing pretty well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've been a member for 26 years now, and uh, the younger guys, some of whom weren't even born when I started singing with the chorus, I had occasion to tell my story in the context of a concert a couple years ago. And uh, so many of the young guys came up to me with tears in their eyes afterwards saying, I just had no idea. And uh, and others have talked to me since about it in the younger generation of the chorus. And said, what was it like? And I said, well, imagine if your whole crowd here in the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles three- quarters to two-thirds of them got sick and died pretty quickly and pretty horribly that's what it was like and they were like they're always like oh my god how did you handle that how did you survive uh, and it was through faith and fairy dust <laughs> <laughs> oh. I went I went I would travel all over the US after I after I got well in 87. I was appointed to be the director of AIDS ministry for the Metropolitan Community Churches worldwide. So I uh, traveled all over the nation and around the world carrying a fairy wand because there were so many good fairies who were dying and were reminded in Peter Pan that fairies die because people don't believe in them. And so it was important for us to believe in ourselves and believe in each other enough to do the work of healing, whether it be healing into life or into death. Yeah. Did you
3: did you find it bizarre
4: that Tammy Faye wanted to interview you? Well, I didn't. You know, to tell you the truth, I knew who your parents were, and I never really watched a lot of of their programming. But Tammy Faye always struck me as being like, you know, a little outside the typical televangelist <laughs> uh, framework, and. So when I was offered that opportunity, I thought, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do my best to present myself as a real live human being, a Christian with faith, uh, a Christian living with AIDS, a Christian who is homosexual. And I don't think that I was prepared for what happened during the course of that interview. uh, Because your mother started off she did, she wouldn't even say homosexual you know she started off by saying, When did you first notice you were different you know, and, <laughs> yeah and I introduced the word homosexual and then she used it and then then we switched to gay and uh and then finally she started talking to me about having AIDS and all of that, and I could see her opening her heart was just opening throughout the whole interview and by the end of the interview, I mean we were we had a real connection of the heart i could really feel that and that really surprised me i mean i did i didn't expect that that would happen but it did
3: yeah she's she's an amazing woman like that and she has such powerful empathy yes that she can't turn it off even if she wanted to you know i I mean i was honestly like did you know like because i know my dad probably had to have part of the decision and having that happen and Sure. You know, and just knowing that both of them were there at that point in that time, you know, yeah. and you know, I mean, my dad is a Trump supporter and very conservative, and all right. this stuff, but also right. knowing that you know, there was still the compassion that they had always sticks with me, and I hope it sticks with their history. It's something yeah. I'm very proud of that moment. And 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 I don't yeah. know if you know this, but you changed the trajectory not of just my mother's life because it changed her life completely. You know, I mean, tell me
4: about that. I, I've I've heard that said, and I, I I've heard you say it. And I <laughs> what in what way? Tell me.
3: I mean, she was always looked at, I think, as a kind of a, a special person by people in the gay community. But right, you know, that broke it. That broke open the gates. She was safe. She was one of ours. She was an ally. Maybe would not be considered maybe an ally in those terms today, but. Then they knew we have somebody safe, right. and the floodgates opened, and yeah. it just changed her. And I think people at the at the church came out to her. Um, uh-huh. She was just never like you said. You interviewed her, and she couldn't even say the word homosexual. And then the next thing you know, you know, people left and right are saying this woman is someone who's safe. This one's someone who loves us. This is somebody who cares about us. And it was that moment. And for me, I was ten years old. So I remember yeah. hearing about it because I remember being scared of the idea of AIDS and things like that. But it also triggered something in my brain you know, oh. in my work, especially 10, 11, 12, 13 years ago, where I became an ally and became very outspoken right. on LGBTQ behalf, uh, 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 issues and, and lost a lot because of it, more so than my right. parents did for the interviewing you, which is surprising. Um <laughs> You know, I guess they were just a machine at the time. But, you know, it really cost a lot. But it it was because I saw the bravery in my mother. I saw the bravery in someone like you, you know what I mean, that I'm able to continue my work and go, these boxes that we've created in religion have to be destroyed. Yes. You know, there has to be room at the table for everyone and forgiveness and love and hope for everyone, even for those when we misunderstand each other, Mm
2: -hmm. you know.
3: And because I would say, like, you know, there was no, like – I don't know if my mom ever came out completely as being affirming but I know that it didn't matter to her. All that mattered to her was love. And for me, I built on that foundation. And so I have to say if it wasn't probably for that day and that interview and that moment in time, you know, I don't know where my career would be. I don't know where my mother's career would have been. You know, it was people in the gay community who embraced her when we lost everything. Yeah. And yeah. kept yeah. her afloat. You know, The Eyes of Tammy Faye was made by World of Wonder, yeah. which is run by two gay men who you know loved Tammy Faye you know yeah. and everyone i've talked to always goes back to that video to that moment in time everywhere i go every conference i've been to everywhere i've spoken as soon as i became an ally people started saying that video the video the video the video you know and it was just i just want to say thank you thank you for being brave enough to do it and i'm so glad that they found someone who was a pastor and had AIDS and things like that because when I look at that, it made me feel like, you know, I don't have half of that against me. You know, I mm. have to make the right choice. I've got to, I've got to follow my convictions.
1: Mm.
3: You know, mm-hmm. and seeing my mother to be able to be brave to do that and for you two to come together and have that moment, um, yeah. I don't know how many lives it changed for the people who saw it, but I know for me and I know for my house, um, it, it changed us forever. And, I, and I'm eternally grateful.
4: Well, I hardly know what to say i'm I'm very grateful that that happened for you uh and I'm very glad if I had some small part in it Well, you did well, thanks. I was amazed that she by the end of the interview called me a christian you know she said, she said only a Christian could say that, and only a Christian could feel that and I thought, right on, Tammy, you know <laughs> that was, that's great. And um, I have, I mean, I tell you, Jay, everywhere I spoke, you know, doing the fairy wand thing, uh, but I preached and I taught all over, and everyone always wanted to see that tape. They wanted to see that interview. And always, it was really interesting because so many times I would, you know, stick the tape in the video player and they'd play it, and and, uh, and people would start off by giggling. Yeah, you know. They were laughing. And then as the interview progressed and they saw what was happening between Tammy Faye and me, but largely for Tammy Faye, I mean, they were all just like slack mouthed, you know, and by the end of the interview, they always stood up and cheered. They always stood up and cheered.
5: Just as someone watching this as an eight year old, you know, right, like uh, it was such a testament to vulnerability and strength and vulnerability. The thing that stuck out to me, you said, Jesus loves my love the way I love. The way and I, I, love, rem- I, and I remember e- even being young, being like bold, ballsy buddy. Good job. Right? Like <laughs> you both showed up exactly who you were and it took yeah. an incredible uh, bravery in this vulnerability. And then in that you connected and you can see the transformation. I mean, the reason people applaud is because it's so real and tangible you know, honestly, thank goodness you weren't in the same room. Our heads would have exploded, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like people would have been stroking out all over the place because we could barely handle it, you know, via satellite, right? So right, um, right. anyway, uh, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, that's great. That's great.
4: You know, and I have to give credit, too, to the Holy Spirit because, you know, I said some things in that interview that were just popped out of my mouth you know for instance at the moment where she said well maybe you just haven't given women a fair try <laughs> that's right that's a you good know. one and and i as i recall i told her yeah i tried but it just wasn't there you know and, but also
5: uh, those were the questions that everyone's mom had right and so having this opportunity to ask them was
4: so important yeah yeah and and i but i said at that point I think if I had tried to make a commitment to a woman, it would have been disrespectful to the woman. And Troy Perry has since told me that that was the moment he knew that God was at play in that interview, because that's the kind of language that a Southern Assemblies of God person would have used to talk about women. You know, are you being disrespectful or respectful of women? You know, I'm from New England. What did I know? You know, but somehow those words came out of my mouth.
3: I remember telling somebody once, I was like, you know, if I was gay, if I was gay and I had ever come out to my mom, I'm like, that's exactly what she would have said to me. You know what I mean? Like, that was just natural, her reaction. You know what I mean? It it was just like, have you tried liking girls? You know what I mean? I was like, that would totally be like... You know, so I was just like, it's so undeniably my mother.
4: Yes, yes. It was a remarkable thing that she asked the question she did, because a lot of people come up to me after I show the video and they say, I mean, those were really stupid questions, you know. And I said, no, no, no. They were absolutely the right questions for her audience. You know, she knew who her audience was.
3: I mean, especially in 1985. I mean, you think you have a huge conservative and and some liberal folks watching my parents show but you know those were the questions they had those were the arguments that they would use you know what i mean and you were just dis- slowly just disarming the questions and answering the questions that so many of these people in america were too afraid to ask you know it, we had to ask the dumb questions to get to the good ones
4: you know absolutely absolutely
5: did you think it was a bait switch like did you did you go in a little bit of armor
4: oh sure Oh, yeah.
5: Yeah, like, what do you you got for me, Christian lady? You got some questions? (laughs) (laughs) You know,
4: I was a little worried that, uh, you know, she would try to convert me or, you know, uh, tell me, well, if you were just straight, you'd get over this AIDS thing, which, you know, a lot of uh, more fundamentalist conservative Christians were saying at the time, if you just convert to heterosexuality, then maybe God will heal you of your AIDS. But here I was saying, God healed me. And I'm gay and I'm proud to be gay. I'm out and proud. But also, like,
5: what a bad argument for them to make on their religion. Like, and guys, were, I, yeah. I could, but yeah, no thanks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we right. Like, no, I'll, just, right. I'll stick right. with the disease and said, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. <I'm> not gonna <laughs>
4: I was invited to the very first prayer breakfast at the White House. The first time the White House did a prayer breakfast, the first year that Bill Clinton was president and it was 1993 and sitting on the other side of Bill Clinton was a conservative evangelical pastor who was who had this ministry to convert gays and make them into ex-gays supposedly and then that would help them battle AIDS and Clinton would turn to him and talk to him and he'd just turn to me and like roll his eyes (laughs) like But, I mean, he didn't make any comments about the guy, but his eyes rolled, that's for sure.
3: It's, you know, Troy Perry, also the founder of MCC, has played such a huge yes. part in my life.
4: I was just with him this morning.
3: He's a great, great man. and He really is. We had talked about the video. P-Flag gave me an award, and, and they had to choose a presenter, and they chose him to give me the first Ally Award. Oh, nice. A, a Christian Ally Award. I believe when he gave it to me, he actually brought up the moment with my mom when he was presenting, And Uh uh, it's wild to see how life kind of moves in these cycles and in these circles. And and it's just – it's these moments, that kind of type of thing that keeps me excited about living life and living life well. Yeah, And staying in the ministry, you know, because there's parts of me that would love to quit and love to give up. But I see stories like you and and messages like, you know, that you shared with my mom and seeing that. And MCC in general has just been so supportive of me.
4: I'm glad to know that. Well, by the way, Troy said I told Troy I was going to be doing your your uh, podcast this afternoon, and he said, "Well, be sure and give Jay my love." So, oh. <laughs> yeah,
3: return the love for me as well because he's. I sure yeah, will. He's. Yeah. We've had some great times. You know, I I yeah. often tell a story about Troy. How when I spoke at my first MCC conference. I was like, you know, I got to the MCC conference and they gave me this really nice assistant to run me around and take me to places. And then he took me to Chick-fil-A, which I thought was really weird. And we had a chicken sandwich Uh and had this long conversation. And I said – and then I was sitting there and someone goes, you know, you know Troy? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's been taking me around today. And they're like, Troy Perry. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, he founded the MCC. I thought he was – that they had given me an assistant and the founder Uh of the whole denomination is driving me around Right. Just hanging out yeah. with me, like no big deal, and buying me yeah. Chick Fil A of all places, you know. So yeah, that was that was always a trip. You know how yeah. humble of a human being he he, he is. You know he, he is just, indeed. You know he wasn't like the whole time like I founded this. I founded this. He was just like, hey Jay, let's talk about what you're doing and your journey, and let me get you a sandwich. And I was like, oh, this assistant that they've given me is so lovely. You know, and it's like, <laughs> no,
4: this is the guy who started the church. Well, he is truly a great prophet of God, yeah. and and. Had, I mean, God has used him mightily. And uh, he's, uh, you know, I see him uh, almost every week in church. We sit together at church. He invited me to sit with him uh, five or six years ago. And I, I was like, really? You want to sit with him? <laughs> And so uh, we sit together every Sunday that we're both there. And, uh, and he is just the most lovely man and, uh, you know, He's just so sweet and, and humble, as you said, and uh, just, just a great guy and obviously one of the great prophets of our time.
5: I feel like I should interject here and say that just so everyone knows, this was about eight or nine years ago, Jay, when you were going through Chick-fil-A with the (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, just so you know, we didn't used to care about these things. We're just learning that we could Google who's giving money to who. And at the time, Chick-fil-A was nice to everybody. No, but we
3: knew No, no, when we went to the Chick-fil-A, I think that we both kind of knew, but we just were hungry.
5: It was your forgiveness chicken? I don't know know what it was. I was with an
3: older gay man, so I was like, I can go to Chick fil A.
5: You brought a sponsor? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh.
3: <laughs> Maybe we were going to burn the place down. I wasn't sure. <laughs>
5: <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember touring with Dykes of Hazard, and I have a t shirt that says Dykes of Hazard, and I would go to Chick fil A, and they were nice to me, and that was about where I left it, right? Like uh-huh. they were. They were nicer to me than I would be if I was working fast food. That's for sure.
3: Yeah, I've never been hope, hoped for a repentance so bad in my life that is that I have for Chick Fil A because I just love those chicken yeah. sandwiches. Damn.
5: Yeah, they're I good. Know. Yeah. We just need one of the Chick Fil A family people to turn out queer, and then we can all go back to Chick Fil A sandwiches, <laughs> right, right? We need right. like we need somebody. Can we can we get the gay uh, uh, mafia number one on the agenda? Convert one Chick Fil A grandchild. <laughs>
4: I bet you we don't really have to convert anybody. I'm sure there's somebody gay in there. Yeah. <laughs> correct.
5: Correct. Yeah. But it's better for them in their own acceptance if they think. Is yeah. kid. Yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to help them on their journey um, to self-discovery. <laughs> oh, God. Yes.
3: <laughs> Do you, did you know that you're going to be in the film? I am. That's coming out. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it or not. I don't know if they made you sign contract. I don't know about it. But there is a Tammy Faye film coming out.
4: Jessica Chastain
3: With Jessica Chastain and your interview is one of the big scenes in the film.
4: No kidding. Wow. well, if uh, I you know I'd heard that they were making a film and I didn't know if they would be using that at uh, the the interview at all, but uh, I'm glad to hear they are. I mean it wasn't a, a turning point. Well, r- the rumors
3: I've heard and uh, about it is that they're actually using your footage with her as my mother. But she's sitting in front of a, a, uh, the TV, and it is you on the television.
4: I wonder if they know I'm still alive.
5: <laughs> I mean, no disrespect, but they probably didn't think so, no. right? Like, yeah, they probably <laughs> well, didn't no. check.
4: I mean, they're
3: like, "This guy's not alive. We can
4: use the footage." <laughs>
5: no, yeah. Okay. When was this? 1985. All right, and we don't even have to look.
4: <laughs> right? No, I, I'm. I, you know, I've I've heard that they were doing the film, and I wanted to get in touch with her because I heard her mention. That interview, uh, in an interview that she was doing. Um, And uh, so I wanted to get in touch with her, but how do you get in touch with a movie star? You know, I don't know. Twitter. Twitter, yeah. Twitter. She has an Instagram (laughs) account, but
3: she has like 10 million followers. Twitter, Instagram.
4: Yeah. Well, then why would she notice me? Because we're going to
5: start, when we release this, we'll start a hashtag something. We'll we'll call it Get get Jess's Attention or something. (laughs) Hey, Jess. (laughs) Hey, Jess. Right. right.
3: Yeah. I hadn't I, I just hadn't you know I just yeah, I I, I am just I just you just <laughs> It's okay. It's just you had a huge impact. Yeah. And uh I'm so grateful um for what the LGBTQ community has done for my family and yes. stood with my family when most everybody pretty much told us to go to hell right. and, um, even surprised by some of the folks who've even loved my dad, even through his, this, you know, his changes and everything, you know, and it, it's just, uh-huh. it's one of those things that, um, pain recognizes pain and, uh, lost right. and, uh, yes. it's just interesting to see how that interview, you know, helped set up a a safety net for us when everybody you know went from loving and wanting to be on the show to no one wanted to have anything to do with my family
4: and uh, Isn't that amazing?
3: I'm just yeah. I'm really grateful for the way things worked out you know I, yeah. uh, I don't know if I how I sometimes struggle with the idea of an interventionist God especially after I lost my mom to cancer but um, yes but uh, I don't know it gives me hope that's what I say is it gives yeah. me a great, great hope. And, and to be able to talk to you and the fact that you're still alive to me is just –
0: yeah,
3: it's a miracle. Yeah.
4: It's just pure it and really simple is. a miracle.
3: I've, there's no other way to yeah. explain it.
4: You know, the, uh, in the medical world, they call me an anomaly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in the church world, they call me a miracle uh, or what happened to me is a miracle. And – um you know, I was thinking about that know, 20 years ago or so. And, you know, I'm a, I, I've am been in a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan productions back when I was an actor and singer and dancer. And um, there's a song in Pirates of Penzance that I wrote new, new lyrics to. Um, and if you don't mind, I, I mean, because it conveys the dilemma that between the two worlds I live in, the medical world and the, sp- and the spiritual world, I am the very model of a medical anomaly. I've had KS, lymphoma, hepatitis, thrush, and CMV, bacterial pneumonia, and adrenal insufficiency. All this and more because I caught a virus that's called HIV. And then I took an antiviral just like chemotherapy. It made me sick. My hair fell out. I suffered neurologically. But hey, it worked. It stopped all of the HIV activity. My lymphoma's in remission, and there is no more KS to see. Lymphoma's in remission, and there is no more KS to see. Lymphoma's in remission, and there is no more KS to see. Lymphoma's in remission, and there is no more KS chaos to see now many years have passed and i'm as healthy as a horse can be it's certainly a miracle for anyone with faith to see but still in journals medical and science and oncology i am the very model of a medical anomaly (laughs) i know your mother loved to sing (laughs) and i love to sing too you know she that reminds me she sent me some uh cassette tapes of her albums and uh one of them i was having a particularly hard time a few months after the interview i had gone blind from the toxic side effects of suramin i was paralyzed on the left side of my body i was wasted away to a skeleton with skin i was having a really hard time and i put in her tape one day and the first song that popped up was don't give up on the brink of a miracle don't give up for god's still on the throne something like that yeah, that's anyway right. I played that over and over and over again. I started singing along to it and, and cheering myself on with it. Don't give up on the brink of a miracle. I used that to lift my spirits and not give up, and it worked. Here I am.
3: <laughs> All right. I'm now. I'm turning into Tammy Faye and getting too emotional. Runs <laughs> <laughs> no. in the jeans. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it
5: really does. It's so organic, Jay. When it was starting, I was like, "Oh, yep, yep okay." There's the baker, Here it comes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let there be
3: no denying. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yes, <laughs> Kristen,
4: take yes? take
5: over, please. No, no, no. We're just going to sit here and you sobs for a minute. <laughs> it's really good. No,
4: I think that it's great that a man can show that kind of emotion. Yeah, I, it's wonderful. Thank you,
5: and it, and it's authentic, and and then it's I authentic. Think it's authentic. It's from the heart. I think that's what that video speaks of you know is is how authentic that exchange was and and you clearly uh have never not once in your life best as i can tell not been yourself that is uh is is a miracle in and of itself after the interview what happened next what was the next you know professionally spiritually romantically
4: (laughs) right yeah right Uh, uh what happened next after the interview was that uh the serum and trial started. I mean, people started dying from the drug, and they ended the serum and trial at the end of December of '85. And I proceeded to get sicker and sicker and sicker. The drug blew out my adrenal glands. It blew out uh, my testosterone supply. It uh, blinded me. It. Be- I became paralyzed on my left side i was i was a wreck I lost all my hair i I wasted away to nothing, and everybody like was waiting for me to die and I would kind of accepted the fact that you know I was severely ill and I'd seen so many people die of AIDS from uh exactly the same kind of condition that I was in that I kind of like went for the ride, you know, and I had absolute faith that that there would be life after life uh because i had died two weeks before your mother interviewed me i had died uh and brought been brought back and that inter- that moment of crossing over was huge i had such a huge turnaround from that experience suddenly i was at peace It was the peace that passes all understanding. I understood what I'd never understood about the world, about myself. I was surrounded by love. It was a perfect peace and perfect wholeness. And then I was back in my body and I was pissed. (laughs) (laughs) But, But you know, I've never really been scared of being dead since then. And I've come very close to death a few times Since then, as well, including that period right after the interview.
3: Well, Steve, what what would you like to leave our listeners with? I mean, you know, people going, people listen to this, they you know probably are somewhat holding on. Some are holding on by a string with religion. Some are don't want anything to do with it. And some might be in the same situation where they just life seems like it's you know no hope.
4: What you know, what would you leave them with? Well, there's always hope. There's always hope. You know, I was, I was a chaplain at the AIDS hospice here in L.A. Uh, in the early 90s. And, you know, I knew what it was like to be where they were, where they were on their deathbeds, because I'd been there myself. And I would always try to find out what people believed. And even if you believe that there's no life after death, at least it's an end to pain. It's an end to struggle. So there is hope. And there is healing even into death my experience faith works you know it really pays off to believe in something greater than yourself a power greater than yourself I'm in recovery and and uh, I uh, you know really think that the wisdom of the 12-step programs of you know saying there's a power greater than yourself yeah Of course there is, you know, try to bring in the tides or to stop the tides, you know, if you want to know a power greater than yourself. For me, that power is God, as I know God through Jesus Christ, through the resurrection, through the incredible journey that God has led me on in this life. You know, faith works. Keep on hoping, keep on laughing, keep on singing, keep on dancing, even if it's just in your heart. And, uh, you know, even in death, you will live. Well, folks, uh,
3: me and Kristen Becker here at the Loosen the Bible Belt podcast are glad to do the part two interview with Steve. Yes. (laughs) 35 years later (laughs) to check in with them. And uh, good news, he's still here. So. Amen. Thanks for listening. Kristen, you got anything? I think maybe we'll be sure that we're linking everybody to the interview, the original interview
5: and where to find Reverend Steve.
4: All right. Keep on dancing. Thank you, Steve. Thank you so much. Keep on believing.
2: Religion, theology, creed.
5: If you like what you heard, or even if you don't... Come over and subscribe
3: to the show and you can give it five stars in Apple Podcasts. You can write a little review and we'll read it on a future show. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at loosen the podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to go a little further, if you want even more of us, then you
5: can go over to patreon.com/slash loosen the Bible belt and join the movement.
3: Our patrons get access to exclusive bonus episodes.
5: You can follow us on Twitter too. We are LTBB Tour and tag a friend.
3: Especially that friend. They need it. You know which one. You know the friend. You know which friend needs it.
5: (laughs) Have a good
2: week.
5: Our show is produced by Woody Battaglia and engineered and edited by Caleb Rowe. Our theme music is by Amy Bingo Bingaman.
1: You know, his own parents were afraid to touch him. His own sister was afraid to touch him. And he said to think that I might never again have a hug. You know, and how sad... That we as Christians, who are to be the salt of the earth, and we, are th- we who are supposed to be able to love everyone, are afraid so badly of an AIDS patient that we will not go up and put our arm around them and tell them that we care.
0: Yes. I know, it is tragic, and that's the tragedy well, Steve, of the situation. I today.
1: just want to tell you something.
0: What's that, Tammy?
1: If there would have been any way, you know, I know you were sick, and that's the only reason we didn't have you come and sit in the studio next to us today, because you have your chemotherapy treatments, and you needed to get home quickly so you wouldn't miss them. But I want to tell you, there's a lot of Christians here who would love you and who wouldn't be afraid to put their arm around you and tell you that we love you and that we care.
0: Thank you, Tammy. God bless you for saying that. I think that's a very, very important thing. Well, you know,
1: you know, Steve, doctors are desperately trying to educate. Hi, I'm Caleb with Post-Christian Podcasting. If you enjoyed this show, you might also like Everyone's Autonomous with Marie de La Font.
2: So I had been born into Christianity, raised in a very literal interpreting home. So the Bible was the true word of God. The earth was made in six days. Um, You know, we weren't permitted to investigate evolution or anything like that. It was that kind of household, very evangelical. And then I was even more strict with my own daughters and really tried to um, keep them from the world. So, of course, when I... If you picture a beach ball that's submerged, right, and then you yeah. take your, your hands off and that yeah. mother comes flying out of there, um, there's going to be fallout from that. And so my, my poor daughters, they had a front row seat to my gong show deconversion there, and they were uh, in their teens at the time. And frankly, they were relieved. Yeah. They they were happy not to have so many rules all the time and to finally have a sense of their own autonomy to borrow your word there that was a post-christian podcast